Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. This week we're talking about Cuba and the announcement by President Trump that he'd be rolling back some of the openings the Obama administration had made with its southern neighbour. Speaking to us this week is Mark Fierstein, a senior associate in our America's program at CSIS. Well, I spent six years in the Obama administration, uh, first four years uh, USAID, running the Latin American Bureau, and then I was in the deputy role there. But I was principally involved in Cuba a lot at the White House for the last 21 months of the administration, and I had the opportunity to build on the very good work that my predecessor, Ricardo Zuniga, had done, along with Ben Rhodes, in opening our relationship uh, with Cuba. And then during that 21-month period, of course, President Obama went to Cuba, so I had an opportunity to help organize that trip. Uh, we reached a number of agreements uh, with the Cuban government and continued to issue regulations uh, by Treasury and Commerce to allow Americans to travel to Cuba and uh, make it easier for American businesses to do business there. So what the Trump administration has announced is you know, new restrictions on travel, new restrictions on trade. Uh, how much does that actually reverse than uh, what the Obama administration had put in place? That's a really good question. I think it's important to underscore how much it appears uh, of President Obama's policy will re- remain intact. You know, President Trump is going to be using some pretty tough language uh, with regard to Cuba. He'll be hitting them hard on human rights. He will likely uh, criticize President Obama for getting a bad deal. Um, he will pretend <laughs> to be rolling back uh, considerably the policy. Uh, but the fact is the bulk of it is going to remain intact. Uh, that is, President Trump is not going to break diplomatic relations uh, with Cuba. He's not going to close our embassy. Uh, U.S. airlines will continue to be able to fly to Cuba. Uh, cruise lines will be able to continue to dock there. Cuban Americans will be able to continue to send unlimited amount of remittances to Cuba. Uh, engagements and collaboration between the U.S. government and the Cuban government on issues of common interests like combating uh, cor- or combating drug trafficking, uh, combating terrorism, cooperating to protect the environment, that will all uh, continue. And the wet foot, dry foot policy, the migration policy that we instituted at the very end of our administration, it appears as if that will remain intact as well. Uh, that said, as you know, there will be a couple uh, significant changes. Uh, one is that Americans, or most Americans who travel to Cuba, will no longer be able to do so on an individual itinerary. They'll have to go part of, as part of a, a tour group, and that, of course, is a bit more expensive. And in addition, uh, transactions, commercial transactions that benefit the Cuban military will now be prohibited. Now, that's really most unfortunate, I think, in both those cases, because that will end up harming the Cuban people. Uh, the people we're, we're supposedly trying to hurt are we're going to harm because uh, many of them uh, are now working in the private sector. They benefit from the spending uh, by Americans who travel to Cuba. So if fewer Americans go there, uh, that's going to hit the, the pockets of the average Cuban people. And, and how does the military, the Cuban military, play into this? How, how embedded are they in, in Cuban life that this is such a, a focus for the Trump administration? Yeah, sure. So the Cuban military uh, runs a number of economic sectors. They're particularly involved in tourism, especially hotels. Uh, so this policy you know, could impact, uh, most likely will impact, uh, American hotel companies that have started to uh, manage hotels uh, in Cuba. Starwood, for example, comes to mind, Starwood Marriott. Uh, that said, you know, other companies like uh, airlines, they will continue to be able to fly there. They may have fewer passengers, uh, so that could hit them uh, as well. But interesting enough, I think cruise lines may end up benefiting um, because it'll be possible if you want a luxurious uh, stay somewhere, you can stay on the ship and then get off the ship during the day to engage in these so-called people-to-people activities and itinerary that would be organized by the cruise line. Uh, so I think the impact uh, will really depend on, on which sector um, you're, you're evaluating. You know, Cuba itself is not 
standing still. It's even expected sometime this year, maybe next year, that uh, Raul, Raul Castro will be no longer in, in power. Um, what's happening in Cuba there and what effect does, say, the U.S. engagement have on that kind of transition? Yeah, that's a really important question. Raul Castro is going to, he's announced, he's going to step down in February of 2018, uh, which means for the first time in nearly 60 years, uh, Cuba will be governed by someone other than a, a Castro. The most likely successor appears to be the uh, first uh, vice president, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Diaz-Canel. And uh, he's seen to be somewhat more of a reformer. He's clearly the next, the next generation of leaders. He's in his mid-50s. Uh, but there is a debate ongoing uh, within Cuba about the pace of reform and the nature of the relationship with the United States. Uh, Raul Castro appears to be a pragmatic figure. Uh, there are you know, reformers within Cuba who would like to go even further and faster. Uh, that said, there are also hardliners who would want to retrench and are much more wary of the United States. So there's a fear that the announcement by uh, President Trump today will play into the hands of the, of, of the hardliners and produce a fairly negative reaction on the part of Cuba. I think it's important for the Cuban government to understand that uh, Trump does not represent the majority of Americans. It is very clear from opinion polls that most Americans favor engagement with Cuba. They favor the approach that President Obama took. Uh, that is true with the majority of Cuban Americans as well. Uh, it's true in Congress. So I think it's important for the Cuban government to continue the momentum uh, that uh, has been sustained over the last few years and continue to engage with American citizens, with private companies, governors, members of Congress, civil society, et cetera. Um, because clearly the publics on both sides want increased engagement. And one of the, the remarks that Senator Rubio made, who obviously um, has his own constituency when it comes to this, uh, was that they're looking to strengthen the Cuban people um, by, by these actions. Um, what would be your recommendations for, for how to strengthen the Cuban people in, in times like this? Yeah, look, the best way to you know, empower the Cuban people, uh, I think, is to provide them with additional resources and provide them access to information. And that's precisely what uh, President Obama was trying to do. Uh, again, when you have more visitors there um, going to privately run restaurants, going to privately run markets, going to bed and breakfasts, uh, and, and putting money in the pockets of the Cuban people, you know, that's giving them a livelihood independent from the state and strengthening them. At the same time, we put a great emphasis on trying to increase communication, uh, providing Cubans with greater access to the internet and, from, and information. Um, it appears as if uh, those efforts uh, will continue uh, on the part of this administration. So I think that's the way the, to empower the Cuban people, uh, by restricting American visitors there and making it more difficult for Cubans to engage uh, with Americans and by restricting their access to financial resources, I think you're hurting them. And I think invariably we're going to see in the coming days a lot of reports uh, by journalists from Cuba talking to average Cubans, and they're going to be saying, you know, we don't, we don't understand what's happening here. President Trump says he wants to help us. Why is he taking measures that hurt us? But generally speaking, I mean, once we come out of this, the strides that were made, I suppose, in the last two years – largely remain. The, the embassies remain. The diplomatic ties remain. Um, you don't see them rolling back anytime soon. No. And that really speaks to a, a couple of things. One, I think there is a bipartisan recognition now of the value of engagement. I think people understand that you know, opening an embassy is not a gift to a foreign country. That's something that, that benefits us. It's helpful to us to have diplomats on the ground reporting back and engaging uh, with people in their, in their country. I think there's understanding that it's important uh, that with a country just 90 miles from us, that we're able to collaborate on issues of common interest like protecting the environment and combating terrorism and drug trafficking and trafficking in persons. 
And I think there's an understanding that we should not be restricting where Americans can travel. It doesn't make sense that Americans can travel to North Korea, <laughs> but we put restrictions on their ability to go to go to Cuba. So it's an interesting dynamic. There, were, there was an interest, I think, at the beginning of this process on the part of people like Senator Rubio and Congressman Diaz-Balart to totally uh, reverse the policy. And that hasn't happened, it appears. Um, so there was a tussle within the White House uh, between the policymakers who understand the value of engagement and the political advisors who actually had initially had a misconception about the nature of politics around Cuba. I think there was an impression within the White House uh, that the key to uh, Trump's winning Florida in 2020 was to reverse the Obama's Cuba policy. In fact, people did say that. And there was a sense that there was a groundswell in Congress to reverse a policy as well. Well, of course, that's not the case. In fact, if there were a, a vote tomorrow in Congress in both the House and the Senate, you would see majority of majorities of both houses voting to lift the embargo. No, there's not going to be a vote because Republican leadership won't allow it. Uh, so the politics on Cuba has changed dramatically in the last few years. And thanks to Mark Fierstein for joining us this week. We'll, of course, be back with more next week. And until then, get in touch with me about the show on Twitter or by email, cquinn at csis.org. As always, thanks for listening.